All right. Uh, I don't know what I missed. We had uh, a bunch of little announcements, but if you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, it's a very powerful chapter on the resurrection, and we're going to look more at Christ's death. Uh, I'm going to be looking at his death, burial, and resurrection this Sunday, uh, and also next for Resurrection Sunday. And uh, just want to look at his death and resurrection from an angle that maybe you're not used to hearing. You definitely don't hear this angle much on Christian television, which is usually not Christian, or often not Christian, or Christian radio, uh, and also not from the pulpits. In fact, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a, an idea about the atonement, a reality that is dealt with regarding Christ's death for our sins that is often neglected. And I think it's the enemy's very happy that this angle is neglected, but it causes me to really rejoice uh, in what he did for us because his death for our sins is called the atonement. And praise the Lord, by the way, Eddie just got married recently. <laughs> Raise your hand, bro. I saw you behind that pole now and, and your wonderful wife. Praise the Lord. Good to see both of you. Can you just stand up real quick? Praise the Lord. We love you guys. Praise God. It's like just two weeks ago, right? About, praise the Lord, congratulations. And they're both still smiling, so it's really good. <laughs> it's because they're seeking Jesus. Uh, praise God. He is good. Uh, anyway, man. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the first couple verses, Paul says something just wonderful. And he says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. Uh, if you hold fast, it's conditional salvation, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain or to no ultimate purpose. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And of course, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures there. This is probably the first New Testament book written in the 50s, uh, uh, epistle, I should say, verse 4. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And of course, uh, if Matthew and Mark or either of those had already been written, he'd be referring to those as well. Uh, there's kind of some debate on that, but we know there are scriptures as well. And Paul is writing scripture. Peter calls Paul's writings scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3. And it talks about his death for our sins according to the scriptures his burial, and then his resurrection according to the scriptures. Yes, the death, burial, and resurrection are all in the Old Testament. And this message this Sunday will connect radically to the message next Sunday. And next Sunday, you do not want to miss, it's Christus Victor. The name of this message is Understanding Christus Victor. Okay? And Christus Victor is a theory of the atonement, uh, why Christ died. Although when you look at a lot of people that emphasize Christus Victor, sometimes they do it at the expense of the penal substitution of Christ, the fact that Jesus died in our place for our sins. And uh, so there's different understandings and beliefs and theories regarding the atonement. I don't believe penal substitution is a theory. I believe it's very clearly taught. That means that Christ substituted himself for us, amen? Died in our place, amen? And took the penalty of our sins upon himself. In fact, that's the heart of the gospel. And every other aspect of the atonement is related to that, I personally believe. But then there's other beliefs regarding the atonement that forget that and say, for instance, the moral influence belief. Well, the, Jesus died to have a moral influence on our lives because we understand love and that he gave himself for us, that we should love uh, because God showed his love to us by uh, letting his son or having his son be a payment for our sins. And therefore, that should influence us to live moral lives. And that's really why Jesus died. Well, that's one of the benefits of his death for sure. So we believe that, yes, there is a moral influence in our lives, and I preach it often because it's because of the grace of God. The grace of God teaches us what? <laughs> Deny ungodliness and live holy lives, amen? And therefore, chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans, right? Based on what Jesus had done for the first 11 chapters being explicated, we ought to lay up our bodies should be living sacrifices to the Lord, amen? There's definitely a moral influence, so, uh, and that's true too. But you don't say this is the, why he died and forget this over here, Amen? 
It's so beautiful. It's like that diamond you turn around, his death, his atonement is so multifaceted in what uh, he's done in us through it that you don't want to limit it to just one sparkle off the diamond. Amen. As beautiful as that sparkle would be, you want to look at the diamond holistically and say, wow, look how beautiful this is. And then you have a greater appreciation of what he did. But notice in chapter 15, it says, for I delivered to you, verse 3, of first importance, what I also received that Christ died, what? For our sins, according to the scriptures. Well, what scriptures come to mind when you talk about Messiah, the Old Testament, dying for our sins? Many. But one would be Isaiah 53. It says that he was cut off from the land of the living. Why? Not for his own. He didn't have any sin. It says he was without guile in that chapter. He was sinless. But it says, we all like, we all, like sheep have gone astray, but he laid the iniquity of us all, our sin upon who? Him. Amen. It says he suffered the death, the wrath of God, the stroke that was due us. I don't know how you can make it any clearer that he paid the penalty for our sins, amen? Because right now you have a lot of the false teachers in the submerging church or the emerging church, check out our video called The Submerging Church, uh, saying, well, he didn't really pay for our sins, you know, he didn't pay the debt and so forth. That's a false teaching, it's very, very serious. However, a lot of people focus on the penal aspect of a substitution. And when you hear me talk about the atonement, that's my main focus as well. But I also talk about Christus Victor from time to time. And I don't know if I've ever done, maybe I've done one message on a Wesley or something on Christus Victor, but I'll talk about aspects of him dying uh, for our sins, but it was also a victory. Christus Victor speaks of Christ's victory and how it's through the cross that we gain victory or he gains victory for us over Satan who binds us and keeps us blind and keeps us bound to sin, uh, death and Hades and ultimately hell because of our sin. And he sets us free from the penalty of sin. By, but Chris's victor is true because he bore the penalty of sin. Amen? You have to have both. Understand? Uh, and we were in bondage to Satan before we became Christians and were set free by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I really want you to understand Chris's victor because it's not often talked about. And I think we should appreciate it. And it's really because there's been some spiritual warfare that brothers have been praying for and talking to have been going through. And, uh, and it's really made me think of that aspect of his atonement, that he came to set set us free from the power of the devil, amen? And I just want to encourage you to even look at this passage in chapter 15. He's talking about the resurrection, and then go down to verse 25. It says, for he must reign until what? He has put all his what? Enemies under his feet. Okay, Christ has enemies. And it's through his death that the last enemy, death, is destroyed. And death in Hades, it says, it says will be thrown into the lake of fire. But that's able to happen uh, and us be saved as a result of him dying for our sins. So I want you to, by the grace of God, it's my prayer, Father, please help everybody to get a really good appreciation of what your son did and setting them free from the power of the devil through Christus Victor in Jesus' name. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I go to this passage first because we are talking about the Holy Week. We're talking about the Passion. We're talking about this is the week because it was this time of year in the spring that Jesus, uh, that the Jews are celebrating Passover, depending on when the, you know, the new moon comes and so forth. And uh, Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb who gave himself for us, amen? And then he rose again. And there's all these beautiful pictures and types. And next week we're going to get into this incredible typology of Jesus in the Old Testament uh, that I think I've taught on at a men's retreat, but I don't know that I've taught on it uh, in the 30-some years I pastored in a, on a Sunday or Wednesday service. But it's mind-blowing. But this will, this will relate to it. They'll kind of be like two pieces of puzzle. They'll go like this. Because I love how the Lord puts flesh and blood stories, you know, as radical illustrations of theological truths. And we'll look at that next week. It's really, really powerful. But here I want to get more, get our brains around the theology. That way we get the theology, we start to understand the theology behind it more in the New Testament, which is explicated, expounded upon in the New Testament. And we appreciate it more. Then when you see that story, you'll be like, no way. Only God could do this, you know, this through these typologies that foreshadow Old Testament uh, events and personages that foreshadow what Jesus would do for us in the future and setting us free from the power of the enemy. Now, uh, in John chapter 12, verse 31, as Jesus is approaching the cross, as he's getting ready to die for our sins, you know what he says? Now the ruler of this world, that is Satan, will be cast out. Okay? So, there is a, when, when Jesus died on the cross, he served an incredible death blow to Satan, okay? 
He was dealing, he talked about when he was going to the cross, getting ready to go to the cross, he talked about the power of darkness. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane where he's crying out to the Father, you know, he's sweating, uh, uh, sweat, you know, literal sweat, but he's also sweating with that sweat, blood. Because uh, his capillaries are, he's in this real battle and it says, he, with, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says with heavy crying, tears, he's crying out to God. He's in this battle and Satan had tempted him more than just when he started his ministry and went into the wilderness. He tempted him then, three waves of temptation, but it says he left him for a season. So he's in this battle and uh, he would tempt him again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a fight. Even on the cross, if the Son of God get down from that cross, you know, the man says next to him, echoing Satan's word, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. So he's in this constant battle, this constant war. But after he came from his baptism, he was declaring that he was to have victory over the evil one. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus came uh, back from his baptism, and it talks about, or I should say, I'm sorry, yeah, after his uh, temptations, he came back, and then he was ready to begin to minister. And he, he opened the scroll of Isaiah. And, the, and there's all these Jews in the synagogue. And he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You catch that? He has sent me to, to what? To proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives. We were the captives. Most of the world is still captive under Satan's power. The Bible says, Paul says, he's a prince in the power of the air, the spirit that works through the children of disobedience. Amen? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're hostile in our minds toward God. We're children of wrath. These are all terms used of what we were as non-believers who rejected God's role in our lives. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed right? And to declare the favorable year of the Lord, right? And then right when he gets to that part, the favorable day of the Lord, boom, he shuts the scripture, shuts the, the scroll, or just kind of puts it down and goes, and they're all, their eyes are all fixed on him, it says. And that, of course, he did that right before what? The passage goes on to say in Isaiah, and speak about God's wrath that'll come upon the wicked, because it's not the day of wrath yet, amen, it's the day of salvation. He wants to give people an opportunity to accept the fact that he took the cup of wrath for them on the cross so they don't have to take the cup of wrath in hell forever and, and the bowl judgments that are poured out during the tribulation period. So Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Amen. And in John 8, 34, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. So praise God for the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from Hades. Freedom from hell. And hell and Hades are two different things. Uh, Hades is where you go now. If you, don't, if you reject the Lord and then you stay there until you go to hell later. In fact, sometimes we need to be reminded of that because, you know, I'll use the terminology just in passing because it's so, you know, uh, common language, you know. I was uh, talking to, one of my grandchildren and encouraging him in the Lord, you know, and uh, uh, takes a, uh, the body of Christ, right? We encourage each other, right, in the Lord. And I took him out to eat at Campos, you know, and uh, Campos is so good for cheap food, you know. It's very inexpensive. Great tacos. Uh, I don't get there very often, but uh, then we went to the park, saw some peacocks at the top of Tapo Canyon, I think it was, yeah, and then so forth. Then I took him to the police station, and then we parked, in, and we saw this police officer with his big rifle walking in. And then I gave him the talk, you know, about, you know, the difference between Hades and hell, the lake of fire. And I just said, hey, you know, there's a police, there's a, there's a jail in there, you know. And when guys do wickedness and, and sin and they, you know, or crime, you know, against the state, they put them there, and then they go to a county jail, and that's kind of like what the Bible talks about with regard to Hades, you know. And then after they spend some time there, uh, in Hades, they have a trial. Just like people that go to, or, or in the prison or the jail, before they go to the federal prisoner, prison, the penitentiary, they are in a jail. And then they go to the trial, and then they go through the, the crimes they've committed, and they get sentenced to the prison. 
And I said, the guys that are here will be in jail for a while, and then they'll go before the judge. And if they're guilty, they'll be sentenced to, you know, a prison. So in the final judgment, those who are in Hades will go before the Lord at the great way throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, and they'll be sentenced to the lake of fire unless their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, you know. And I mentioned that's why what Jesus did for us is so important. You try to emphasize that point, you know. And I was hoping I was getting too heavy because Russell was looking at me kind of cross-eyed, you know. No, it wasn't Russell. It was the older one. <laughs> if you know Russell, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm messing with you. But it, was, uh, but it was just a great talk, you know. And, and then I, I, was just, I praise God because as we're leaving, and I'm dropping him off, you know. And uh, I'm saying, now remember, man, seek Jesus. You know, there's two broad, the broad road leads to destruction and, and hell and the narrow road leads to life. And he goes, you mean Hades? Hades is it before hell, pop up. I go, that's right, good job, you know, sharpening my theology. So uh, Jesus died and rose again to conquer that for us so we don't have to go through to Hades, face God at the great white throne judgment, or go to the lake of fire, amen? In fact, when he rose from the dead, it says in Revelation chapter 1, what happened? John, I mean, I mean he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, long after he rose from the dead. And John said he fell on his feet as a, as a dead man because he shined like the sun in all of his strength. And the sun in the noonday in all of its strength. And he fell as a dead man. Jesus put his right hand upon him and said, don't fear, fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Right? He says, I am the first and the last. He's Yahweh. And I have the keys of what? Death and Hades. He said, I'll build my church in another place, Matthew 16, 18. I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Which is really interesting because Hades is that place where you're, what do you mean the gates wouldn't prevail? And sometimes people, a lot of commentators say, well, Jesus deals with the gates of Hades being offensive weapons here of the enemy now. And I'm not, no, not really. The gates of Hades are what lock people in to death, you know, and so forth. And Jesus sets the captives free, right, from Hades and death because there's two sides of Hades. There's East Hades and West Hades, so to speak, okay? There's where when you die before you become, be, be, before Jesus died on the cross, you wouldn't go to heaven. We know that because you go through the Old Testament. Every time it talks about someone dying and it mentions where they go, it's not up to heaven, you know? Never says they went and were hanging out with the Lord in heaven. In fact, Jesus said when he came, no one has yet ascended to heaven, Jesus said, amen? Except the Son of Man. It's when he died on the cross that he went into the lower regions of the earth and set the captives free, so when you die, remember Abraham's bosom? Remember how there was the side where it was peaceful, like paradise? Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise, the thief that repented and turned to Jesus. Well, there's, paradise was under the earth. And we know that Jesus didn't go to heaven right after he died before the resurrection because he says, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. But he told the thief, I'll see you in paradise. Well, Jesus told about the rich man. And Lazarus, the rich man, was in flames, you know, in flame, saying, send Lazarus over here, Abraham, because there's this big gulf, and Abraham says he can't. It's a big gulf between us and you. That he might dip his finger in water and touch it onto my tongue. And Jesus is giving this vivid illustration of hell, you know. And it very well could have been a true story and not just a parable, because in Jesus' parables, he never uses formal names, like Lazarus. And, uh, but he lets us know what was going on there, and that was Hades. But guess what? The rich man's there. And, he, and Lazarus wanted to get just a crumb from his table, right? And Jesus is showing the contrast. Now you want just a little drop of water. That's how desperate you are. But the, but the poor man was in Abraham's bosom where there was water, refreshment, not pain, not sadness, not torment. And so Jesus came to set the captives free. And when he died on the cross, it was an act of war. He was laying his life down for his sheep. He's a good shepherd that lays his life down for us. Amen? And you have to get your brain around how powerful this is because just as there are physical wars, there are spiritual wars in the heavenlies. And Jesus is the God-man who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who come, came to vanquish his enemies. And when he went to the cross, he says, now is the power of darkness. He talks about the, the, the ruler of this world who Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world three times through the Gospels is cast out. So there was a radical, the death blow hit Satan at the cross. Now what's, be, now what's happening is we're getting the message out to everybody. Jesus died for your sins. It's a free gift. You can be totally set free. 
The victory is already won in regard to salvation. The question is, is whether you're going to receive that victory into your own life. Are you with me? And, we're, and now he's going to mop up at the end of the tribulation period, say it'll be cast into uh, the abuso or he'll be chained for a thousand years. And a little bit after that, he'll be set free for a very short time, but we'll be reigning with Christ. It won't affect us in our resurrected bodies. Revelation chapter 20. And then, uh, then he'll be thrown alive into the lake of fire. Uh, the scriptures tell us where the beast and the false prophet would have been thrown just over a thousand years earlier and where it says they still are, you know. So there's this incredible spiritual war going on. And you have to understand when Jesus died on the cross, it was to pay for your sins, but also it was to set you free from bondage to the devil. Set you free from enslavement to sin. Set you free from uh, Hades and the lake of fire. If you just think of one of those things, Salvation from sin. I'm no longer under the condemnation of sin. I no longer uh, am, have to practice sin, but he enables me and us now to live righteous lives whereby we seek him, right, with hearts that have been purified by the blood of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we've been given a new heart. If you're a Christian, you're born again. Behold, old things have passed away, all things have become new. Now you have a new, new heart, right? And now you're walking in righteousness. We're no longer slaves to sin. That right there is beautiful, Amen. But then you think, wow, we're also no longer subjected to eternal death and separation from God. Amen. We will be resurrected physically. Amen. And spiritually, we have, we're unified. We're reconciled. We're regenerated. We're born again. He lives in us. We're justified. We've been declared righteous. Amen. And we will be glorified and have these glorified bodies in the future. And we've been, and we'll no longer be sentenced to Hades. And then at the great way, throw judgment, the lake of fire, which is horrible, by the way. It says there's no rest day and night forever and ever in that place it's hard to it's hard to you know we all want to just kind of turn the flames down because it sounds so 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 tragic and it is tragic but the answer to that is jesus the answer is there god allows people to have free choice which is what's created a bunch of problems here right he could have made us robots there'd be no problems but we wouldn't exist because we'd be robots and robots are not personages with wills as soon as you have a will and you can receive love and reciprocate love and so forth then there's choice and then when you choose wrong that's sin and that needs to be dealt with and we deal we're in a real world where god wants to deal with it but praise god the gospel sets us free and the atonement what jesus did on the cross sets you free from satan's power and that's one of the things that's chris's victory his victory over satan on the cross listen to acts chapter 26 in fact it's such a powerful passage. i remember when i first got saved because I was under the power of darkness, like we all were. It says we were children of uh, disobedience under the pits and power of the air. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 16, because it's a really powerful passage. Acts chapter, I'm sorry, 26. And this verse stuck out in my mind, because as a new Christian, I had opened up through looking into the occult and so forth, and uh, opened myself with the demonic forces, and I cried out to the Lord in the midst of one of my experiences. And I just so appreciated this passage, 26. 17 and 18, it speaks of, he's telling Paul why he chose him. And Paul, by the way, was in a lot of bondage too, wasn't he? He was having Christians put to death when he was Saul, before God, the Lord changed his name to Paul. He was having Christians killed. And he was under, he says, himself. We, he's talking about himself too, under the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that works through the children of disobedience. And in verse 17, Jesus tells him that he'll be rescuing from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, verse 18, to open their what? Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to who? God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So we are delivered from the power of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the power of Satan to Christ. You were once under the power of Satan. Notice it's connected to the forgiveness of your sins. It's through his death on the cross that you and I are set free. Because before we were saved, Satan blinded us. He, we were his captives. The Bible says, whatever you submit to, you become a slave to. It says that more than once. Okay, Romans chapter 6 says, those who, you know, live lives of sin, they're, they're slaves to sin. Peter talks about false teachers who promise liberty, but they bring you into slavery. And we were enslaved to Satan. Because the first human beings, that's why, there's, that's why there's evil in the world, folks. There's no mystery. There's evil in the world because the first human beings made a choice to choose evil. Okay? 
Prior to that, there was cosmic evil because angelic beings were subjected to choice and Satan and the fallen angels chose evil. And then after the first humans fell, uh, more, more angels rebelled in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, so it's very interesting when you look at these passages, it's mind-boggling, and you, you look at this, you're like, wow, there's all this sin and destruction, and that's, that's the status of the human race, right? Human race, the history of the human race is, is blood, shedding blood, man, just through the centuries. That's why you lock your doors at night, you know? If there weren't a lot of laws where people were punished, you know, uh, there'd be way more, I mean, we just destroy ourselves. The human race is wicked. Now, it's interesting. I mean, just look at all the genocides that go on throughout the world. And it's crazy because genocide is something that has been practiced over and over again. We think of the Nazis, but it's something that's happened in several cultures, you know. I'm talking about those. Uh, I'm not talking about God flooding the earth or God, you know, instructing that, hey, I'm going to wipe out people because of the wickedness. He's, he's in charge. There's one lawgiver that says it's able to save and destroy. Okay, he's the ultimate authority. But when people, because they want somebody else's land or they don't like a certain race of people or because uh, they don't like their ideology. Uh, and there's going to be a mass genocide in the book of Revelation, the biggest ever against Christians and Jews. Greater tribulation than there's ever been. And it's going to show the wickedness of the human heart. And I remember uh, Aryeh, uh, he was one of our tour guides who we went on our Israel trips. He was a great tour guide. He was, he's amazing. And he's like, he was talking about Nazi Germany, you know, and six million of his people being destroyed. And he said, you know what? I was talking to him uh, about it personally. He goes, he goes you know, when you, they were the most progressive people in Europe. And when the most progressive people in Europe kill millions of people, he goes, that shows you that we're all capable of that, you know? And it stunned me to hear him under, take an understanding where he looked at it as, man, that's all. And then we know that's true. The Bible says, all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. Their thoughts are only evil continually when he floods the earth. Amen. We, have a, we, we are a people that are criminals. We, we were in bondage of Satan because we joined him and the fallen angels in their rebellion. You understand that? So it's by his grace that he said, hey, I'm not going to wipe out all you wicked criminals who are defying me. I'm going to do an act of war whereby the enemy... My enemies think that they're going to bring an end to me, but through the very end that they think they're going to bring, I'm going to bring salvation and die for them, at least the, the human enemies, amen? Not the, uh, he didn't die for angels, Hebrews chapter two, died for us. So, uh, but before we're Christians, Satan blinds us. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them, amen? That's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. Jesus is the image of God. You see me, you've seen the Father. He shows us who he is, and he pays the price for our sins so that we would be set free. And it's so beautiful. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And when you get there, Matthew chapter 22 I'm sorry. I want verse 22, but I want Matthew 12. You're already in the same book, so just hang a left if you're already there. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. So the mute man spoke and saw. And all the crowds, it says, were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David. This is interesting. This man cannot be the son of David, can he? So they're like, wow, look at this guy's delivering people that are demon-possessed. Remember, Jesus dealt with, he's constantly exercising demons out of people, right? Remember the guy that's possessed by a legion of demons? We are legion for we are many, you know? Whoa, man, and Jesus, that guy, he was, you know, cutting himself and everything, and he was chained because that was their form of mental hospital, but he was at the tombs. He liked to be around death because demons are just evil, you know? And I guess in that way, the demons felt like they had some victory. You know, they brought death into the world through enticing man to rebellion. Not sure why he was there. I know a lot of people in the music realm and so forth, they just love death and the gothic scene and the heavy metal scene. And the most popular artist right now, female artist, is Billie Eilish. If you go to Spotify, we revealed this in our presentation we just did over in Texas. And she's number one on Spotify of all, you know, over Beyonce and a lot of the other artists right now. And she's under the power of the evil one, man. In fact, her whole, and she's about death, you know. Her, her, her whole first album, she said, was based 
I mean, it shows her sitting on a bed gleefully at the edge of the bed, and her eyes are white like the exorcist, you know. And she says her first album was inspired by her experiences, these terrible demonic-type experiences she describes in, in bed at night. She'd go through paralysis over and over again. And then she's, you know, inspired by these entities with this music. And she has a song called Bury a Friend where she's going like this, like she's slitting her throat. She's going like this with her feet dragging, and she's, you know, in the, and then she's singing with her eyes all black as a guy's being tormented in bed because she says she's become one or she's basically become like the entities or whatever it is that has been, and we know what it is, what has been tormenting her, you know. And now she's influencing not millions, not tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people. I mean, you look at how many views she has on Bury a Friend. It's like mind-boggling. But it's about, and by the way, like uh, Tony keeps pointing out, he goes, man, her testimony or what she's doing sounds a lot like what you said before you were Christian, what you're going through, you know, what you were going through. Yeah, definitely, absolutely, same thing, you know. I've been saying this for years. This is demonic. This is what's going on. And guess what? She's like super, super popular. And you know what? She's, uh, she'll wear upside down, big upside down cross, devil horns. She'll go like this, you know, and do all the devil stuff. And uh, she says, I'm Satan. She said that on in Instagram. And she, but her voice is very alluring. My son Josiah said to me, when she was 17, she got popular when she was 17. She did a song called Ocean Eyes. Josiah said, Dad, this gal's possessed. And that's before she came out with all this dark stuff a year and two later. You know, or right, I mean, oh, that song, Barry Friend, and that album came out early. So maybe when she was 17, 18. And I go, I haven't heard, I didn't hear you. I go, he goes, Dad, it's like your presentation. You could just sense that just, in the song, Ocean Eyes, doesn't have evil lyrics. Because the way she sings, it's just so drawing, like, a, you know, like a siren. He didn't say that, but he said, so drawing. And so, and then, boom, just all that happened. By the way, guess what? You know how many people she'd followed on Instagram for a long time? 666. And then, uh, not by accident. She has millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of followers right now. And they asked her, you know, then she, but every time she wanted to follow a new person on Instagram, she'd drop someone. And sometimes people that would drop would make videos and put them on YouTube and I can't believe she dropped me. She, you know, Billy Eilish followed me and now she dropped me. But she said she dropped people because she likes the number 666 and wanted to keep it at that number. So when she got a new person, she had to drop an old one. Now she doesn't follow anyone you know, because of that controversy. Don't be listening to these guys, guys. Yeah, it's seductive music. It's very drawing. That's how Satan is. I remember in the 70s when I was a young guy, you know, long ago in the 1870s, long time ago, you know, uh, no, in the 1970s, I remember, you know, a woman that would sing about witches like Rhiannon, a song called Rhiannon, and, and she had crystal balls on all her albums. It's produced by Walsh's Witch Music, and her voice was so, like, enchanting. Stevie Nicks. You know, she always dressed like a witch. I'm like, oh, no wonder. I saw later, oh, she dressed like a witch. Oh, no wonder, man. She's got this. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He deceives people. He uses all kinds of things to bind us. That's why I want to encourage you guys to glorify God with Christian music, you know? God says to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But there is a real power construct. The power of Satan is very real, whereby he wants to keep us bound in different ways to sin. Jesus came to set us free. And here we see Jesus constantly dealing with demons. What I love about Christus Victor and this aspect of the atonement that's very often ignored is because it shows, now listen, it shows such, such continuity with his ministry. He's constantly casting demons out, delivering people from demonic oppression and the power of the evil spirits, the fallen angels that followed Satan in his rebellion. So when he goes to the cross, cross, it shows you how that's a continuation of him dealing with the demonic world. And just pfft, the death blow to Satan and his kingdom. Are you following me? So, so when you're seeing him cast out demons, keep in mind he came to set us free. And you, whether you understand or not, when you get a lot of thoughts that come in your mind, a lot of times they're demonic entities. Oh, you could, the flesh could be stirred up all by its lonesome. You don't need Satan to whisper in your ear to do wrong, okay? We, we see this in the millennium when Satan's bound for a thousand years, right? People still can do wrong. But guess what? He basically, you know, throws gas on the fire of the flesh and causes it to smolder, and he puts thoughts in your head, okay? There's all kinds of uh, ways that Satan works to try to deceive you. And a lot of times you say, well, where did that thought come from? That's, you know, and he's trying to get you to own those thoughts. It's a spiritual war that we're in. It's very, very, very real, Okay? Uh, you might be angry and he might put a thought in your mind, do this in your anger. 
But you need to resist. because I'm not saying Satan himself, but he has all kinds of demonic entities that work with him, that fell with him. Go ahead and read Revelation 12. And just what Jesus deals with here. But notice what happens here. After Jesus casts this out, they're saying, is this the son of David, meaning the prophesied Messiah? Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, remember, they were part of the whole power construct, right? These, these leaders, the Pharisees, were making money off the people and so forth and, and weren't about truth. These, these religious leaders, they heard this. They said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. I mean, he's working with Satan. That's what's going on here. That's how he could do, be so effective at this. That's what they were saying. Because they had to try to explain it away. Because they knew he was doing miracles. They weren't denying that he was doing miracles. Remember Nicodemus, who was a leader of the Pharisees, the teacher of Israel? He came to Jesus and said, before this, came to him by night and said, we know that you're from God because nobody could do these things unless it be from God. But they decided, wait, we don't want him to reign over us, you know. We don't want him to overthrow our racket, you know. Uh, even Caiaphas, even the Talmudic literature, which is Jewish oral tradition that was put down on paper, says that Caiaphas, the high priest at this time, was thoroughly corrupt. And the Pharisees were trying to now explain his miracles away. He must be doing it by Beelzebub, the power, the, you know, basically Satan, the one who has authority over the demons. Verse 25, this is really heavy. Look what Jesus says. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste or cannot stand, as it says in many translations. And any city or house divided against itself will not what? Stand. That was not first said by Abraham Lincoln, by the way, you guys. Okay, that was first said by Jesus. Okay. Uh, and look at what he says in verse 26. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? In other words, if I'm working for Beelzebub and I'm just demolishing the kingdom of Satan in your midst and all these people are being set free, you know, uh, how could Satan's kingdom stand? It's, a, it's a, an argument you can't overthrow. But look at verse 27. If I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. Which is, I don't have time to get all the arguments. It's another really good argument. But look what he says here. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 29. This is the verse I really want to focus on for a moment. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first what? Binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. If you're going into a really big, strong dude's house, man, and you're going into his house and you say, hey, can you turn off your cell phone so I can concentrate for a moment to him? And then, no, I'm just messing. <laughs> and you come into the strong man's house, you're not going to be able to carry off all the stuff. He's going to stop you unless you first what? Bind him, right? You fetter him. You put him in, in chains or ropes and, and, and then, then you can take his stuff. Uh, look at, or how can anyone, verse 29, enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. We're not talking about uh, just burglary here. Burglary is when you go into someone's house, you take their stuff when they're not there. We're talking about robbery here. That's when you rob someone when they have, when they're there. And Jesus is talking about coming into Satan's house, Satan's domain. Satan's the God of this world, amen? Satan is the God of this world system. And humanity, now some people say he owns the planet. No, he doesn't own the planet. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, amen? This is God's planet, amen? But Satan is like a squatter. And since humanity, the first humans, and every human since that time, except the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, submitted to sin and him, we're in bondage to Satan, the world system. The world system is in bondage to him, okay? Because uh, the scriptures are very, very clear that uh, humanity, 1 John Chapter 5, verse 19 says, we know that we are of God, believers, but the whole world is under the power of the evil one. You understand? So Jesus comes into the strong man's house, his system. And remember, he said to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Okay? They were submitted to him as well. But before he can rob him, Jesus is a robber in a good way. He's also a grave robber. Thank him for that. Amen? He'll be resurrected from the dead, amen? Before you can rob him, he has to bind Satan. He has to take care. He has to defeat him, amen? How does he ultimately defeat him? Through the cross. Oh, he has authority over the demons and so forth. But if he doesn't pay for our sins on the cross, 
He could cast every single demon out. We're still going to hell because of our sin. Satan still has victory over us because of our sin and enticing us into rebellion because we can't be forgiven unless that sin is paid for. It's really, really heavy. So Jesus came in to spoil the strong man. He came in to deal with Satan. So when Jesus comes, what does he do? He's going to bind the strong man, Satan. So he can plunder his, whoa, he's robbing these, we belong to who? God, amen? He's the one that made us in his image. Satan is the one that took them unjustly, amen? God doesn't take us back unjustly. He takes us back through what? Pain for our sins so we can be justified and made right with him and everything is legal and right. Are you with me? It's really heavy when you get your brain about it. This is Christus Victor, you know? It's a very powerful, uh, and we need to understand, you know? And I think the reason a lot of people don't focus on Christus Victor because they're focused so much on a lot of the theology, especially, especially out of the Reformed camp, you know, the Calvin, Calvinism, is everything's so determined. Everything's deterministic. So if everything's predetermined, everything you do is like a cartoon. It's like a script that you're just following. You can't do anything different. So even the enemies and so forth are just going by a script. There's no real room for intercessory prayer, uh, battle between sin, overcoming sin, making a choice other than you could have made and so forth because it destroys free will. So a lot of people, since they don't even believe in free will and they're taught this, these very strong, deterministic, everything's predetermined, they can't get their brains around the warfare that we're in. It's very dangerous because once you bow to the idea of determinism, you don't pray like you would pray because you don't feel your prayers would make a difference because it's all going to happen the way it's meant to happen anyway or supposed to happen exactly by script. That's not biblical because it destroys our battle with sin. It destroys, our, it destroys spiritual warfare, you know. It will have an effect on missions because whoever's going to be saved is going to be saved. It doesn't matter what I do. And it can really have a, a, a bad effect on you. So, but you have to realize that's not the biblical worldview, though. The biblical worldview is this is all very real. And we're making real choices. And those who are punished and sentenced to the lake of fire, it's not because they were predetermined. It's because they didn't choose Jesus. He's won the victory. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, he tasted death for everyone. When he says in 1 John 5, 19, that we are, know that we are of God, but the whole world is in the power of the evil one, John also says just a little before that, that Jesus died for the whole world. He says he's propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the what? Now, it's not only propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Same two Greek words he uses later when he says the whole world is in the power of the evil one. That's not just the elect. That's all of us. Amen. So the point is, is that we have an awesome Savior who died for the entire world, and we can proclaim the good news to everybody that you can be set free. And that's exactly what Paul did. He went to the Corinthians. He said, and he said, I declare unto you what I first said to you, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Amen. So when Paul first preached to them, he didn't say, Jesus may have died for your sins, but I'm not sure. No, he says Jesus, the first time he taught him in the book of Acts, when he was going through preaching to the church or to the people in Corinth that weren't saved, he says, I declare to you that Jesus died for our sins. So you guys, we have the message of victory. We should be out there sharing the gospel. Amen? We should be out there preaching the gospel and sharing with people that Jesus died for their sins and he rose again. They could be saved for the power of Satan. Amen? And a lot of people right now are dealing with the power of Satan. If you talk to people and you're witnessing to people, a lot of times I'm sharing and they've gone through experiences they didn't understand, but they were very dark and foreboding and chilling. And they recognize, they start to realize, wow, that a lot of times their eyes will be opened that there is a spiritual war. And praise God, Jesus came to set the captives free, and he came to bind the strong man. Irenaeus, the early church father, he talked a lot about Christus Victor. The early church fathers talked about Christus Victor, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes they mess it up a little bit, and they think the ransom, because Jesus gave himself a ransom, amen, but he gave himself a ransom to pay our debt to the father, amen, because God owes us wrath, and we owe him righteousness, but sometimes they have the ransom being paid to Satan. God didn't owe a ransom to Satan, amen? Satan's an evil one, amen? But we owe a death to God, and the only way that ransom can be paid that we owe to God is through Christ dying in our place. But Irenaeus said, uh, speaks of, you know, basically how uh, the, that since the devil, quote, cannot be allowed to have any rights over men, he is a robber a rebel, a tyrant, a usurper, unjustly laying hands on that which does not belong to him. So, and he understands that Christ's death, he sets us free from the power of the devil. Well, that's New Testament biblical teaching. Uh, and I praise God for the teaching of penal substitution that Jesus died in our place. 
penal penalty, paid the penalty for us. We need to preach that, and I preach that all the time. But we don't want to lose sight of the victory that we have over the evil one and the power of the cross and the power of the blood of Christ to set people free from Satan's chains. Amen? And we need to preach the cross and preach Christ to those who are bound. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Amen? How many praise God for abundant life that is found in Christ Jesus? Amen? I love it, man. Jesus went around delivering people from Satan's power. And uh, we read in Acts 10, 38. Listen to this. I love this. It says, Peter writes, or Peter states in one of his messages, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. I love that. He went about by the power of the Holy Spirit doing good, and he was setting people free who were under the power of the devil of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, 8 says, uh, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. In other words, you're under his power. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, he goes on to say in verse 8, for this purpose, what purpose? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that awesome? That's throughout scripture. Take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 2. The book of Colossians chapter 2. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And when you were dead in your wrongdoings or sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our wrongdoings or our sins. Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt. There was a certificate of debt. That was not canceled. It was alive. It, it, it was held over our heads. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. So now we know what the certificate of debt was. It was a bunch of decrees that were against us. That we broke. Which was hostile to us. Those decrees, God's holy law, which is pure and righteous, but because we're sinners, his law is hostile to us. And he has taken it what? He has taken it out of the way, the end of verse 14, having what? Nailed it to the cross. So it's important to understand that there was a certificate of debt that is against us, which the certificate of debt in the, in the New Testament times, if you went to prison and it wasn't a, you know, a execution, it was an offense against the state, but it wasn't one that they deemed worthy of execution. And you went to prison for some time, you had a certificate of debt. You had a placard with your crimes that you committed, Right? And they would be there. That's what this guy did next to your prison cell. Right? And you were in trouble. Well, when you went to a cross, and they didn't crucify Roman citizens. They thought it's too hideous a way to kill a person. But insurrectionists, foreigners that have committed murder, we're going to kill them in the most brutal way we can so everybody can see uh, that you don't commit crimes against the state of Rome. Well, guess what? Jesus was convicted by humans of crime. What was his supposed crime? Why did they put in his placard? Because they put the placard that your crimes that you committed against the state on up above your head on a cross. What was Jesus accused of? King of the Jews. However, guess what? Is that a crime? In the, would that even be a crime against the Roman state? Well, they were trying to rule all the different places, including Israel, but... The Jews wanted to put, say he said he's king of the Jews up there. Don't put king of the Jews. Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. King of the Jews. That was just God, a God thing because that's who he is. Jesus was the descendant of King David in line to be the king of the Jews. And he is the ultimate king of kings and Lord of lords and definitely king of the Jews. Amen? So his placard was not a crime. Well, why did he go to the cross? To die for any crime that he committed? Yes or no? No, he's absolutely sinless. But to die for whose crimes? Yours. The certificate of debt that was written against us, that was hostile to us, the decrees that were against us. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Well, we all believe that. If, if, whatever you put something before God, your first sin was something you put before God. That's idolatry. Amen. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not on and on and on. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Uh, they're all there. Thou shalt not murder. The thought of evil towards someone, of anger, uh, where you want them in your heart, you just wish they were erased. 
didn't exist, that's murder. So all those things that we are guilty of to one degree or another, but all of us are definitely guilty. He went to the cross and those decrees that were against us, he accepted the punishment for them, amen? And what, of course, do you remember what he yelled out on the cross? Come on, it's a beautiful Greek word. To tell a style, you sound like a choir. That's, if you're gonna learn some Greek words, that's one of the best ones to learn. It means what? Paid in full. He yelled out, Tetelestai, or paid in full. But paid for his own sins. He didn't sin. Jesus is pure and sinless. Amen? Even Pilate said, I see no wrong in this in him, you know. Jesus says, who com- convinced me of sin? The Bible says he was without sin. But Tetelestai paid in full. That was to pay the debt that we owed. See, Satan, Satan had us in his power. And God, because he's a just God, he, God in his sovereignty allowed all this to happen, of course. He allowed Satan to rebel. He allowed the angels to rebel. He allowed humans to rebel, but he had a plan from the beginning because he has the first and the last word, amen, and all the words in between. But he allows, he's so sovereign, he's not threatened by people having free will. He's big enough to handle it. A little God would be too afraid to handle free will. That wouldn't really be an all-sovereign God. But our God allows it because he's all-powerful. And he deals with it. And it all comes out great in the end. Uh, new heaven, new earth, where dwelleth righteousness. He's got a great plan. But guess what? We see this going on. And in Acts, or Matthew 27, 37, it says, and they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, and I just think it's awesome because he paid for all of your sins on the cross. Guess what? And since they were all paid for, Satan, the Bible, who says, is accused of the brethren, his accusations against you have no merit if you're trusting what Jesus did for you on the cross. He doesn't have you under his power anymore. Can anyone say thank the Lord or hallelujah because of that? That's, that's a beautiful reality. That's a, that's, that makes my heart want to sing all the time, you know. Uh, we stood condemned, but he was condemned in our place. Amen. And uh, he's just such an awesome God. Now, in Colossians 2.15, the verse we didn't read yet, when he was just, oh, now this is it, when he had what? Because he died for our sins on the cross and suffered the penalty for our sins and absorbed the decrees or the penalty of those decrees against us. When he had what? Disarmed the rulers and authorities. Catch that, guys? What did he do when he died on the cross? He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Because Satan and the demons were like, they're guilty like we're guilty. They're guilty of high treason against your kingdom. They should be doomed like we are. You know, and they're constantly accusing us, constantly trying to lead us into sin and rebellion against God and strengthening the case against us and so forth. Well, when he died on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made, now this is really cool. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. He made a public display for everybody to see because it was in three languages, king of the Jews, and he's publicly being crucified and he made a public display of the principalities and powers. What are the principalities and powers that he's talking about? Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual force of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan and his demons are the principalities and powers. And 1 Corinthians 2, 8 says uh, that the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood, Satan and his demons didn't really understand it fully, right? And neither in their human representatives didn't understand it. For if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Wow. So guess what? He comes into the strong man's house. Satan's like, I got him. You know, he's trying to get him to die and deny Christ or deny the Father the whole way. You know, he's sweating blood. I got him. If you're the Son of God, you know, and Satan has, doesn't understand fully what's going to take place and that he's going to lose, it seems, or at least he tries everything he can on the way. And the world rulers are clueless as to what they're ultimately doing. And what he's doing is he's binding the strong man. And when he dies on the cross, Satan now loses power. He disarms Satan's power over us to keep us bound now. Amen? And the power of the demons that kept us bound. It's really, really powerful. And these are, there's so much beauty in the cross. The cross is so deep. It's the simplest symbol on the earth, right? But it's one of the most profound symbols on the earth. And, uh, how did he, he disarm him, making a public display of them? 
a public display of them. Because when you read Ephesians and Colossians, you see that the angels long to look in and they're checking out what's going on and so forth and they're seeing, whoa, look what he just did, you know? And well, how did he do that? Well, Revelation 12.10 says, then I heard a voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of the brothers and sisters have been cast down and the one who accuses them before God day and night. He's talking about, talking about Satan and his angels before that. Satan's cast down during the middle of the tribulation period. And he comes down having great wrath. He's ticked off. No wonder he's ticked off, man. He just got robbed, right? He thought he had us. Jesus comes, dies for him. He, I lost him. Now he wants to keep as many as he can. Well, how did, how did he get robbed? How did Jesus get us? Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him, that is the believers, because of the blood of the lamb. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, first and foremost, by what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's our victory. That's the ground of our victory. And because of the word of their testimony, that's our testimony, our faith in, our proclamation of faith in what he did for us. And they did not love their lives even when faced with death. In other words, that's faith stretched out. We're saved by grace through faith. It's never by works. It's through trust. Amen. But we, the only way he can dislodge us is if we don't continue in the faith. So we have victory through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We love not our lives unto death. We continue to trust Jesus. That's salvation by grace through faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. But if he draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. So we continue to live by faith. So that's our victory. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Amen. Took the penalty of sin. That is, he never became a sinner, but he took the penalty of sin that he would set us free with the gospel. It's a free gift. So it's amazing because the language that's used is this public display, you know, uh, of victory. And he uses language that was common in the Roman world for what the generals would go through with the booty that they had received. And we read in 2 Corinthians 2.14, listen to this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You catch that? He leads us in triumphal procession and uh, through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Or in the Brian Study Bible, it translates that verse, but thanks be to God who always leads us triumphantly as captives in Christ. So when he got victory on the cross, guess what he did? The generals would march through the cities and one thing they would do is they would have the POWs that they'd march through with that they set free. They'd also have the generals would march toward Jerusalem or towards Rome into Rome and that was what the Caesars, you know, it was just this great celebration of the booty of the, of the captives of the wicked, the, what they consider wicked, the, uh, the, their other nations, their leaders, their generals, their kings. So you see the king of whatever country in shackles and his leaders with him, and they would be in this triumphal procession, and the POWs would be set free, you know, that's us, you know. And uh, then they would march them, and then they'd take them, and then they'd put them away, and then they'd execute them and eventually Satan the demons will be executed and hopefully all of us all humans are POWs he died to set them all free we just need to get the message to them and I hope by talking this way and helping you understand scripture this way it helps you understand your mission more amen well these are POWs I was caught we were all enticed into the same bondage you know but Jesus came to set us free in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 6 through 9 remember it says he gave some of his apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers what also says uh, that that when he ascended on high he led captive a host of captives he brought a host of captives he set those who were free in the lower parts of the earth it says he went to the lower parts of the earth to set those who were held captive free and it says he gave gifts to men and he, it says he ascended. What does it mean except that he also that descended, in, he uh, descended first into the lower parts of the earth. So he sets the captives free. So there'd be this public procession where the generals would show the people they'd set free. Well, guess what? That's us. We're trophies of his power. We're trophies of his grace. How could other people know that they're going to be set free if you don't let them see you? He wants us publicly to say, hey, by the grace of God, I'm a trophy of God's grace. I'm nothing special in of myself. But guess what? God did something special in me. He set me free and he made me his image. He's making me like him now. And you could be set free too. Amen. Are you with me today? Amen. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, we share in flesh and blood, right? He himself likewise partook of the same. God himself partook of flesh and blood. Why? It says really clearly. So that through death, he might destroy the one who has power of death. That is the devil. See? He became a human in the incarnation to destroy the works of the devil and to destroy the devil himself. And free those, listen to this, 
He himself likewise also partook of the same, that is flesh, blood, so that through death, through the cross, the atonement, he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. People, if they're in their right mind, fear death. If they don't, they're under illusion if they don't know Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, you don't have to fear death, amen? Because he sets you free from the power of death. And these powers are very, very real. And we need to realize that now that we've been set free, right? We're not on Satan's side anymore. Now we serve the King of Kings. And we're his ambassadors to reach people, let them know the price has been paid. You can freely be set free from the power of Satan, from the power of sin, from the power of death, from, from the power of Hades, and from the lake of fire, hell. We have the best news anybody could have ever hear. What do you hear? The news is full of bad news. We have great news, guys. It's not just good news. I love good news, but it's the great news. It's the really, really great news. I mean, it's the best news ever. And Satan's very real, you know? Uh, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. In Mexico, pray for Jonathan and his wife and the family because they're on the front lines. There's a lot of witchcraft around them. A lot of people steeped in Catholicism and the UPC cult, all kinds of things. And Jonathan said that uh, Chad was trying to move his bookcase because the bookcase just, there was like some demonic activity moved in front of his kid's door. Both their kids, they're little boys. And, he could, and it was hard to get in. I had to push and push and push. The, the windows were locked from the inside. And Chad said, and Chad's a pretty strong guy. He tried to push and move that bookcase, and he had to do it with all his might before he could finally move it. He said, no kids are going to do that, you know. There's demonic activity. There's, there's Satan. That we, there's a spiritual war that we're in, especially if you're on the front lines, you know. When I went to Texas, before I went to uh, Belverde in San Antonio area, seven-hour drive from there, and we flew, was El Paso because I was on a, uh, had a couple of television interviews that they wanted to do, and I did those. And Lisa and Tony and I flew up there first and met everybody else the next wing. And when I was there, my wife was like, we got to be up there at four because I thought, I think Sergio, one of my brothers, lives here and he's going to be, maybe he's going to make it to Belverde, which him and his son did make it. I think they drove seven hours, which that shows their hearts, you know. He's a worship leader of his church, but his son was under a lot of attack. And his son wasn't really walking strong with the Lord. He wasn't walking with him. And, he, uh, and Sergio was praying for him and all of a sudden he felt this pressure on him, you know. And just this, uh, uh, you know, and he felt like this demonic attack and these entities started talking to him, you know, communicating with him and coming as familiar spirits, like his friends and stuff. And it was a crazy story. And I look at the clock, I don't really have time to get into it, but others say that I told him, don't talk to those guys. They're not your friends, man. They're demons. They're trying to make you feel at home. And I even told him, I said, uh, and there's a it's pretty elaborate story. I mean, he thought there was hitmen trying to kill him and all kinds of things. He's taken off. Three in the morning, El Paso, jumping in people's backyards. Police come, comes back to his house, like, what's going on? And, and I said, you know what? If the police would have caught you, they'd diagnose you as schizophrenic, and they wouldn't even know what's, uh, you know, uh, what you have, you know, that there's a spiritual war going on in your life. They'd say, you have schizophrenia. He goes, Dad, did you hear what he said? His dad was tripping out. They both said, he said, one of the spirits, when they're talking, goes, ah, and scared him. And then it said, you have schizophrenia. No kidding. I'm like, Whoa. And he goes, yep, that's, that's what he told me. And I go, yep, because a lot of people that are diagnosed, and I'm not saying there's not true diagnosis. There's a lot of mental problems that are, everything is caused by the fall ultimately, amen? But Satan also is active in a lot of these maladies, you know? And they try to explain them away. Oh, well, they're hearing voices that are telling them, always telling them that they're Jesus or to kill yourself. It's not usually go and, you know, serve your fellow man and wash their feet and do good. It's usually a lot of demonic gibberish, you know? And there's a real battle. And it also shows you, I thought that's interesting because it's, Satan tries to build a construct where people think it's all naturalistic. There is a spiritual war that we're in. There are real demonic entities. And praise God, I, I wait, I said, Lisa, I'm going to be up there. She goes, if you're not there at four, you know, we're in trouble, you know. And I go, I'll, I'll be up there. And he said, I called him like at 3.30. And he goes, I'm going to race over there. He picked up his son. He got there. We prayed. I got up there at 4.10. That's just my lifestyle. And, uh, <laughs> and well, praise God, guess what? The plane, we didn't even get on the plane until two hours later, I think, because of the delays of snowing, or I'm sorry, storming in Dallas. We were supposed to go for the layover. And then, and then we got on the plane, and then they deplaned us, and we couldn't go to the next day. I'm like, man, I could have stayed down there longer, <laughs> which is always my mentality, minister, minister. But anyway, uh, we prayed, 
And then Sergio texted me and said, man, the voices stopped after we prayed, you know. So God is good, amen. There was a guy that visited because he heard us on Coast to Coast Radio program, which is KFI like 9 to 12. I do not encourage you to read it. It's all a bunch of New Age junk. But uh, sometimes they have some truth, but it's usually lies, uh, you know, talking to aliens and stuff as though they're cool or whatever. Uh, and he came and he visited. He said, yeah, I heard you, your name on that radio because somebody called up and said that they went to your church because they had demons and you prayed for them and they were set free. We have that sometimes. Then I started getting all kinds of letters. Can you pray for me too, you know? And I'm like, I don't put myself out there as an exorcist. I'm not, you know? That's the power of Christ in his name, amen? You know? And uh, use, we have the name of Jesus. We have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the power of salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Greek, amen? So we put our trust in Jesus. We put our faith in what he did. Paul says he declares to us the gospel. He says the gospel by which you stand in the perfect tense. You stand, you've stood, and you continue to stand, right? By which you are being saved, present tense. If you hold fast that which I preached to you, if we just hold, trust him. That's the key. So if you're trusting Jesus, continue to trust him. Because guess what? You actually have power over the devil in Christ. You're a majority. Amen? He set us free. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in bondage to sin. You're condemned. Even though Jesus died for you, you have to put faith in him to receive forgiveness. But you can be saved from sin, from death, from Hades, from hell, from the power of Satan. If you, in your heart, confess your sins, believe in your heart and the reality that you're a sinner and admit it and say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross. I put my trust in him who died for me and rose again. Amen. And you'll be saved. Amen. That's a good deal. Hell, eternal damnation, enslavement to sin and misery and depression and outer darkness forever and ever or eternal life with Jesus in eternal joy and bliss, serving him and reigning with him forever and ever. To me, it's not even something you have to think about. It's just, you know, go to Jesus, receive him. It's a free gift. All you have to do is turn to him in repentant faith and you'll be saved. Amen. So I encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And those of you who already received him, it says, as you've received him, walk in him. Walk in Jesus. Walk in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. As many as he has received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. The authority is the Greek word, to become the children of God. You are a child of God through faith. Now what you do is you walk in faith, and guess what? You preach the soul-saving gospel. You preach his triumph on the cross, amen? You let people know they can be set free, they can have eternal life, and that they also can be trophies of his grace, amen? Let's not sit on our rear ends, amen? Let's get out there and share the gospel, amen? I better mellow out because I'm just starting to preach and I'm running a little late. Let's pass out the cup and the bread.